0: Well, we are in part two of this uh, sermon series called All the Feels. And as we named this series, we recognize that there might be some in our midst or in our uh, tenders that may not be familiar with this uh, phrase, All the Feels. It seems to be a phrase that's sort of becoming more popular. And the idea behind it is that there are certain movies or certain books that tend to evoke a lot of different emotions from people. And that's a movie or that's a book that has all the feels. And so Pastor Matt kind of helped us kind of visualize what types of movies that might be. And he mentioned like the 90s classic, The Titanic. That was a movie that kind of had all the feels. Or that quintessential chick flick named The Notebook, that that movie tends to have all the feels. And then he kind of let us in to his life a little bit and cut open a vein and gives a little window into his heart. Because what he said was that when he thinks of movies that have all the feels, he thinks of Terminator 2 <laughs> and the end scene as Schwarzenegger goes into the molten steel. And I guess I just wanted to publicly say that— um, I really appreciate Matt being so honest. It takes a man's man to admit that you get goosebumps and maybe even a tear when you watch Terminator 2. And if he needs some help with that, I'm available for counseling. That's uh, (laughs) all the feels. It's It's an appropriate name for a series as we are heading towards the weeks up to Easter. And in fact, uh, if you're not a regular churchgoer, you may not know this, but usually in many churches, during those weeks leading up to Easter, churches will spend time looking at the days and the hours leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection. And that's really the idea or the focus of this series. Because in those last days, and even especially in that last day, Jesus experienced all the feels— Rejection, and frustration, and sorrow, and disappointment, and anger, and on and on. In fact, not only did he experience all the feels, but that last week of Jesus' life, I don't think, I know it's not too bold to say, is the worst week that anyone who's ever lived has ever experienced. Not because Jesus was the only one to ever be betrayed. Not because Jesus was not even the only one ever to be crucified, but because Jesus was the only one who experienced the totality of the world's sin and the punishment that it deserved. And why would someone do this? I love how Matt put it last week. It's another thing I love about him. Um, He put it this way, Jesus knew all that was coming and yet he pursued it anyway. Why? The simple answer is this. The simple answer is you. Why did he be okay with experiencing all the feels? Why did he choose the cross because it was the only way to have an eternal relationship with you and with me. In order for Henley, in order for us, in order for anyone to have a relationship with the Father, to spend eternity with him, it would require Jesus, the perfect Son of God, to die and then to rise in victory. Jesus truly did experience all the feels for you and for I and for me, and we were able to have such hope and such peace because of it. Now, as we get into the content of this particular week, um, I wonder if any of you have heard of a, a young man named Tyler Trent. Uh, Tyler Trent uh, is a, a young man, about 20 years old, who was and is going through um, some terminal bone cancer. And I think the way he got onto a little bit of the public's notice is that he's a huge uh, Purdue Boilermaker fan, if any of you are familiar with this face at all. If you watched the Purdue Ohio State game, uh, football game this past year, he was on the screen a lot. And um, the football team decided because of the inspiration that they received from Tyler in his sort of battle against cancer uh, to sort of uh, make him an honorary member of the team. And they gave him a seat in the locker room and a, a seat at practice and a proverbial, you know, seat on the team. And Purdue had a pretty good year this year, much better than people thought they would. I mean, it's Purdue after all, you know. And in fact, when they played Ohio State, Ohio State had one loss. And Purdue not only beat Ohio State, they demolished them. I think it was like 49 to 20 or something like that. Now, was that because of Tyler Trent? I mean, probably not entirely, right? But here's what I know. It doesn't hurt to play for someone. It can help to have someone direct you and to inspire you. Here's a question. It's our first fill-in for today. Who has the seat of honor in your life? Now, There's lots of people in your life. If you had to designate one that kind of had that seat of honor that inspires you, that directs you, maybe some of you are thinking of your spouse or um, a boyfriend or a girlfriend potentially, or, or maybe it's a parent or a grandparent. Sometimes when you become grandparents, it's the grandkids that inspire you and motivate you and all these things, right? You know, the truth of the matter is is that most of our lives, there are seats of honor. That's not my question. Who has the seat of honor? Because the answer to that question has a trickle-down effect in how you view life, in how you view your family, in how you view your time, in how you view and do everything. And today in our text, in our section, we're going to be led to the answer to that question and also the why behind the who. (laughs) So where are we at in the last week of Jesus' life? This particular section that we're going to look at happened about a week before Jesus. Jesus died. And Jesus, over the last few months of his life on earth, had given a whole bunch of hints to the people around him that he would soon be leaving. And if any of you know um, or have read about this from the Bible, you recognize that the people who were with him, they kind of got it, but mostly didn't. They understood something was going to happen, but sometimes surprisingly didn't quite get exactly what was going to happen, even though Jesus talked about it. But Jesus understood exactly what was going to happen. And before things got what I'll call really bad on Friday, on the Sunday before, there was a party that was thrown. On the, the Saturday before, there was a party that was thrown in Jesus' honor. And that's what we're going to look at. John chapter 12. This is written by one of the, the guests at the party. His name was John. He was one of Jesus' disciples. And it goes this way Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, a town. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. So, John is not the only one to write about this. Uh, party, or this gathering in honor of Jesus. In fact, all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all reference it. And so what we know is that this was a gathering, as it says, thrown in Jesus' honor. We also know that there was a a lot of people there. Um, The ones we know of for sure would have been the twelve disciples, would have been Simon, a former leper, because the party was actually thrown at his house. And then we also know that there was uh, Lazarus, Uh, a friend of Jesus, and Mary, another friend of Jesus, not Mary, his mother, and uh, Martha. Okay? So let me ask this. If you were to ever attend a party that's thrown in honor of someone, say a retirement party or someone just received an award, um, what might you bring with you if you're a good friend? Got a thought? A gift, a present. Very good. Yeah, you might throw, you might bring a gift. And, and that's exactly what Mary wanted to do. He, she wanted to bring a gift. So here's a question. You know, guys, how we wonder about what do you get your wife for Christmas or whatever? Here's a harder question. What do you get Jesus when you're bringing him a gift? So I was thinking about this, and you know, would you—he travels a lot. They didn't have Nikes back then. Would you get him Birkenstocks, maybe? I mean, sandals, he'd be comfortable with those. Or He was a carpenter's son, probably did some carpentry in his life. Um, I don't know what tools he has, so how about a $50 gift card to Home Depot, you know? What do you get Jesus, the Son of God, at a, for a party being thrown in his honor? Well, Mary wanted to bring a gift. Let's read what she brought. Verse 3. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, which is an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, if you're someone who's new to the Bible, or maybe even just hasn't read this section, your reaction is that's weird. <laughs> it is not our custom today to come to a party to bring some perfume, to pour it on someone's feet, and then to wipe it with their hair. So what's going on here? Basically, this was one of the first century ways to show someone that you had a great respect or honor of them. In some cases, this was also even called an anointing. And for for Mary to do this was a a sign of great respect and a, a great love for Jesus. Now, the other question you might be having is not just, What is going on here? But also, what's the big deal with Mary doing this? Now, the reason why we might think that is because um, perfume nowadays is not so expensive. In fact, when I was a kid, every Christmas, my grandma's astro, she's now in heaven, but my grandma's astro would get me every single year a bottle of either musk or brute. And I never used it ever. Maybe that's why she gave me more of it, I don't know. But she always gave me a bottle of Brute or Musk. And I know that you can get Brute from Target for like 10 bucks. It's not even a $50 Home Depot gift card comparatively, right? Let me say this Nard, or the full name Spike Nard, was no Brute. In fact, we're going to learn in just a moment that spikenard was, first of all, a very, as it says, expensive perfume, likely made from roots of plants in the Himalayan mountains. And a pint of it was valued at a year's wages. So if you you think about that and putting it into today's terms, I know some of you make more than this and many of you make uh, less than this, Um, but we're talking about $50,000, let's say. And so Mary is pouring $50,000 of perfume onto Jesus' feet. And we're told in Mark, also on his head, and wiping all of that with her hair. Talk about all the feels, huh? What sorts of feelings are going through Mary as she does this? A a great love, right? A great honor and respect. Think about the the feels that Jesus has as he knows how much that perfume is worth, and, and Mary just pours it on his feet and on his head. But there were some other feelings going on in the room that day. All four gospel writers write about it. Here's what John says in verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who later was to betray him, objected to what Mary was doing. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. For Judas, he did not say this because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, or the treasurer, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So for Judas, he had some ulterior motives in regards to his criticism of what Mary was doing. And that's because he was the person who uh, took care of the money, and he was kind of known for taking some for himself on the side. Now, the other gospel writers tell us that Judas wasn't the only one who objected to this offering that Mary was giving to Jesus. And the others, well, their objection didn't have so much to do with, you know, taking money for themselves, but instead, isn't there something we could do that would be better and more long-lasting than just pouring out $50,000 of perfume on Jesus' feet? The question becomes, what would, what would you do? What would you do if you were in the room? How would you feel if you saw all of this happen? I, I thought about that a lot this week. And here's what I would have liked to be written about me. Ben saw this pint of nard being poured out. And as he saw... Mary's love and generosity, he stood up and he applauded. Awesome, Mary. That is so awesome. If I had a pint of spikenard, I would pour it on his feet too. This is great. Jesus is worth way more than even $50,000. That's what I would have liked to be written about me. But here's the thing. I know me. And I know how I think, and I know how I act, and I know what's in my heart at times more than anyone else. And so, can I tell you? I'll cut up in a vein this morning and tell you what I think I probably would have done. What I probably would have done is, first of all, said nothing, because I knew in my heart that I should be really applauding Mary. So, I wouldn't have objected verbally. But in my heart, I would have thought, huh, that's a lot of perfume to pour on Jesus. Couldn't you have gotten the job done, Mary, with a little bit less, and then we'd have some money left? I mean, couldn't you have spritzed in the air and have Jesus walk through? (laughs) And if you want to be extravagant, what about six spritzes instead of three, you know, that you normally do in the morning? Or what if we just, you know, took a little jar and put a fifth of it in the jar and put that on Jesus' head and feet? Then we'd have $40,000 left, Mary. I know me. And I know how I would have thought. And maybe in some ways, thinking that way isn't entirely wrong. It depends what my motive is. It depends why my heart is holding back. How would you have responded? How do you feel about Mary's gift? I know how you want to feel, but how do you truly feel? You know the best way to answer that question? The best way to answer it is to look at our lives right now. Are we extravagant in living for Jesus? Or do we hold back? Are we extravagant in moving forward and doing the right thing even when it's hard or when it starts to get hard? Either emotionally, mentally, physically, whatever it is, do we start to pull back? Are we extravagant in our giving of time and even of offerings? Or is there only a certain point to which we'll go? What does being sold out for Jesus, being extravagant, what does it look like today? I think, I think Matthew records some words that Jesus had to say about this. Here's what Jesus said. Give me all your spikenard. No. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is a tough one. I think one of the biggest idols we have in 21st century America is our family. That does not mean that we should not love our families. We should. But we've come to idolize them so as to try to get our kids into colleges that they really shouldn't go to because they don't have good enough grades. Or spending all of our time at the gym or the rink or, or the choir room or whatever it is because we need to give our kids the best of everything. What's the best of everything? Or what is the best? That's a thought question for you. Next verse. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life in this life and makes their life all about what we accomplish here, whoever finds that life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake, that is, here you go, Lord, I want to be extravagant with my life. Here you go, Lord. I am all yours. Direct me, lead me, forgive me. Here you go, Lord. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find real life and real satisfaction and real joy. And eternity in heaven. This describes an extravagant life. This is a pint of spike nard type of existence. And right now, if you're tracking with me, you and I are feeling like failures because there is not a person in this room who's done this perfectly. It is a daily battle against our sinful nature. It is a daily battle against the messages that we're hearing from this world. It is a daily battle to be sold out for Jesus in our lives, and we do not always do it the way we should. The fact of the matter is, this is what our goal should be— it's our next fill-in—to give Jesus the seat of honor in our life. Who should have the seat? Most of you knew where I was going with this, but now you see it for sure. Give Jesus the seat of honor. Now how do we get there? Because right now it's like, okay, Mary did this. I guess I got to do this too. How do we get to a point where we're going to be giving extravagant gifts? It's in this section. The only thing is I skipped it. You see, when we read verses 1 and 2, I didn't read all of the words. I kept some out. Here's all of verse 1. It gives us context for the party. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the town, where Jesus lived—I'm sorry, Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. This is the part I left out. This is the rest of the story. Does anyone know anything about Lazarus being raised from the dead? Let me give you a little bit of uh, background on it. So, When Lazarus was really sick, his sisters called to Jesus through a messenger for Jesus to come back and to help heal their brother. Jesus didn't get there in time. In fact, by the time Jesus got there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. He had been wrapped in the burial cloths and put in the tomb. And when Jesus got there, there was a woman who fell down at his feet not with perfume but with tears that woman is the same woman who washed his feet with spikenard a few days or about a week later and her name was Mary and as as Mary was there pleading with Jesus to help or why haven't you didn't you get here sooner here's what Jesus did He asked for them to remove the stone of the tomb. (laughs) And as the King James Version said, it stinketh in there because Lazarus had been dead for four days. And and Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And I don't know if it's like some scene from The Mummy or whatever, but he had his burial cloths on and Lazarus gets up and walks out. That which was dead is now alive. Did you know that the party we're reading in John chapter 12, you know it was thrown in honor of Jesus? Do you know why they were honoring him? Because he raised Lazarus, Mary's brother, from the dead. So let's rewind. What do you bring to a party to honor somebody? A present, a gift, yes. What do you bring for someone who just raised your brother from the dead? A $50 gift card to Home Depot? Some Birkenstocks? Here you go, Jesus. Here's some sandals. What would you give if Jesus raised your loved one from the dead? Now recognize This wasn't just because, oh, it's my brother. Mary, who was unmarried, had her physical welfare being taken care of by her brother. There's a lot of feelings here. There's all the feels in Lazarus' death and then his resurrection. Might you give a year's worth of wages to have your brother back? You know, they say, historians do, that— there is only probably two ways that Mary would have had this perfume. One being that she was very, very rich. And I do not think that meshes with the rest of her story. Or the other reason people sometimes would have this is that it was a a family heirloom passed down through the generations. And as Mary thought about the party to honor Jesus for raising Lazarus from the dead. She's considering, what do I bring? And the only thing she had that she could think of was the most valuable thing that she had, and that was this pint of spikenard worth a year's wages. And she did not spritz it. She poured it all on his feet and all on his head because for Mary this was personal for Mary Jesus had done an amazing thing in her life you know all those people who are complaining about what Mary did none of the gospel re- writers record that Mary or sorry that Martha or Lazarus was among them <laughs> i guess not Here's what Jesus continues with as he replies, Leave her alone. It was intended that she save this perfume for the day of my burial. Uh, We're not sure how much Mary kind of knew how she was almost like fulfilling scripture as she was anointing Jesus or giving him a, a, a burial perfumes even a week before he was actually buried, that, that Mary's uh, anointing of Jesus was part of a bigger plan and a bigger story. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And the people in the room that day, didn't understand all that was meant by this day of my burial and all of that. But here's the thing. About a week later, Jesus, instead of being covered with perfume, was covered in blood. About a week later, instead of the aroma of the room Jesus was in being spikenard, the aroma of the hill he was on was the aroma of death about a week later instead of being in a room filled with at least 3 people Mary Martha and Lazarus who was honoring him he would be in front of a nation who the majority would rather have had a criminal named Barabbas released than Jesus to go free About a week later, the story of Jesus gets really personal for you and for me. Because it was on a cross a week later that Jesus died in our place. And he made it possible for the dead to come back to life. Some of you have experienced the death of a loved one. Some of you, very recently. By faith in Jesus Christ, you can dry your tears because for that Christian passed away, her story someday will be death to life. Someday when you are near death, The reason you do not need to fear is because you have a story that Jesus has written. And through his death and resurrection, faith in him, our story gets very personal. His story gets very personal to us. It is a death to life story. You see, Jesus gave the most extravagant gift. And he gave it to all of us, every single one of us, by faith. The greatest gift you've ever been given is life in the face of death. And in fact, the sweetest smelling thing in the room that night, that day of his party, wasn't the nard. I love how Paul writes about Jesus' sacrifice. Live a life of love then, Christians, just as Christ loved us, And gave himself up for us as he was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Our greatest gift is that which we have not received in its entirety yet. That home in heaven, that as we get older, we think about more. That as we get older, we know more and more people who have gone there and we miss them. As we get older, we do not need to fear that death because we know that on the last day, proverbially, Jesus is going to, or hypothetically, but in reality, call our names. Ben, come out. And by his grace and by the power of Christ, we will. So, What's our response? What do we give? (laughs) $50 Home Depot card doesn't fit it, does it? Here's what we can give. Worship. Worship is the only appropriate response to the gift that Jesus has given to every single one of us through his life and through his death. What is worship? It is living Our lives in a way that is always mindful of Jesus Christ that we give him the seat of honor in our lives and that that has a trickle-down effect in how we schedule our time in how we use our finances in what we go after in what we care about in what we're passionate about living a life of worship is one in which when the world speaks its thoughts and its ideas we could care less if it does not mesh with what God has directed us to do. <laughs> Here's a question. As Mary is wiping Jesus' feet and just poured out fifty thousand dollars of perfume on Jesus' feet, remember she's down on her knees doing this and wiping Jesus' feet. And as Judas starts to object, do you think she cares? Well, you're right, Judas. She's she's at the feet of her Savior. I don't care what you have to say, Jesus. I'm staying right here at the feet of my Savior. When, when you use your life to worship, it changes what you do and how you think. And at a certain point, I guarantee you, there will be objections from the people and the culture and the society around us. And that's not just 21st century America. That is all the time, as long as the sinful world continues, there will be objections. But you just tell them to get lost and you just stay right there at Jesus' feet because he's changed your life and even more so, he's changed your eternity. Live to please him, not them. And So the question remains, the question I want you to take home and wrestle to the ground, and I didn't give you a whole bunch of specific application today. It's just this, who has the seat of honor in your life? And may God guide and bless you to live that way. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess, and maybe many in this room do too, that when it comes to being sold out for you, when it comes to living a life of worship every day for you, um, I often haven't been extravagant. I've been safe. I've, I've, I've been worldly, to be honest. Help me to see your son's extravagance as he chose the cross, even though he didn't have to that I might live, that we might live with you forever. And may that, that personal resurrection story in all of our lives, may that motivate us, dear Lord, to be extravagant in response. We pray for your strength, your forgiveness, and your help in this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.